All right, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, if you, uh, if you want to open your Bibles there. Ephesians chapter 3. As you're making your way there, you know, the story is told about a Marine, and uh, he enlisted in the Marine Corps, and uh, his recruiting uh, officer or whatever, I don't know if the guy's an officer, his recruiting guy's re- recruiter, there you go, there's his title, his recruiter promised him the sun and the moon and the stars. Uh, anybody out there in the Marine Corps or the armed forces and your recruiter promised you everything in the world. It was going to be sunshine every day. It was going to be puppy dogs and butterflies and just all everything. And so his recruiter promised him the sun and the moon and the stars and, uh, and he got the outhouse is what he got. He got there and he realized this guy sold him a bill of goods and he was, he was a little disenchanted. He was a little bitter, to be quite honest. And, uh, you know, man, the recruiter lied about the food. He, he lied about the conditions. He lied about the people. Uh, and, um, and so, you know, here this guy is and now he's got just bad attitude, you know, bad attitude Marine. Uh, cadet, and there he is, he's in, uh, you know, going to, to every day of training, and so the day dawns, he's going for parachute training, and, uh, and he, he and his bad attitude just show up, you know, there for the parachute training, and the guy says, listen, here's the drill, you're going to go up in the airplane, they're going to take you up into altitude, you know, up to altitude, and, and then you're going you're gonna to jump out, you're going to count to 10, you're going to pull the ripcord, and uh, your chute's going to deploy, and if you have a problem with your chute, if it doesn't deploy, or if it, if, if, if you know, there's some sort of a malfunction, uh, then you're going to pull your second cord and your reserve chute will open and then once you get to the ground, there will be a truck there to pick you up. And uh, so the Marine gets in the airplane and they go up and they get to altitude and he jumps out and he counts to 10 and he pulls the cord and nothing happens. And so he pulls the <clears throat> second cord, nothing happens. He says to himself, great, you know what, I bet the truck's not there either, you know. <laughs> Life doesn't always go according to plan, does it? And uh, man, case in point, the Apostle Paul. I mean, we're here in Ephesians chapter 3 and been going through the book. Here's a guy, he's a graduate of the best schools. Uh, He had the best teachers. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a rising star. Then radically saved by Jesus Christ himself. Who, who meets him there on that dusty road, and, and he has this radical conversion, and Jesus Christ himself enlists him, not just as a disciple, not just as a follower, but Jesus Christ enlists the Apostle Paul as an apostle. And, and having this enlistment and this position, well, you might think that, you know, hey, God's called me, God's got his hand on me, and so, you know, things for me are, are going to are going to be blessed. I mean, I'm walking in the will of God, right? But you know, the Bible says we know him by the fellowship of his sufferings. And so what happens in Paul's life is that the fine how do you do that he gets, well, he's, he's stoned, he's, he's beaten, he's shipwrecked, he gets bitten by a snake, he has, he has all of these hardships. And here in Ephesians, what we find, well, we find that Paul... For a fine thank you for all of his service, he's now sitting, rotting, in, in jail. In fact, as a, ma- as a matter of fact, he, he's on death row. He, he is awaiting uh, his execution. 
And, you know, the, the, the fact is, man, life doesn't always go according to our plans. But, man, there's a lot we can learn from the Apostle Paul who faces all of these hardships faithfully. And what I want to look at here as we get to Ephesians chapter 3 is we see how Paul is faithful in the face, in the midst of the hardships and of the conditions of his life. And there's a, there's a lot that we can learn from him. So we'll pick it up. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says this. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Now you're hanging on it. For what reason? Well, and now we get into verse 2 and Paul goes off on a, on a tangent. And he's going to go off on a tangent for the next 12 verses. This is totally Paul. Hey, I got a, a point to make with you. But before I make that point, let me talk about this. And, and a lot of times it'll be like, you know, I'm talking about this, and then I'm talking about this, and then I'm talking about this. And you're like, Paul, come on, it's hard to track with you, man. And uh, he, the guy can talk a buzzard off a meat wagon here. And, and so, so he starts to make his point in verse 1, but then he, he sort of sidetracks. Verse 2, he says, If indeed you have, you have heard the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery... As I have uh, briefly written already, he's, he's referencing what he said in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, uh, by which when, when you read, you, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to uh, revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles uh, and prophets. And, and, and here's the mystery that the Gentiles, that's, that's my little commentary, here's the mystery, uh, verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which, verse 7, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, verse 8, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ." to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through him, or through faith in him. Therefore, verse 13, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations, for you, which is your glory. Basically, Paul has gone off on this tangent, and his tangent is this. He's talking about how the Jew and the Gentile are made one in Jesus Christ. Paul says, listen, God gave me a revelation for you Gentiles uh, that he desires to make you fellow heirs. And I want you to notice there that Paul describes this in verse 2 as a dispensation of grace. You see that, that phrase, that dispensation of grace. If you, if you want to maybe circle that word dispensation nearby, you could write this. You could, you could write one who has put, been put in charge of something. The idea is this. Hey, this is mine and I'm going to dispense it to you and I'm dispensing it to you with a commission, with a command, with a responsibility, with a stewardship. And so this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, I have received a dispensation of grace 
uh, the idea is that I've been put in charge of this and I've been given the responsibility to, to steward an unveiled mystery. This is something that, that is, is in the scriptures but that God by his Holy Spirit had to unveil because previous to this we didn't get it. We didn't understand it. And Paul is like, I'm, I'm just, I'm amazed that God unveiled it to me. And in unveiling it to me, in showing this to me, man, he's dispensed, he's, he's given me, this is a dispensation that I now have the responsibility to share with others. This is completely, this is what I'm about to say, not in my notes, but it just the Holy Spirit brings it to my heart and to my mind. And, and this is, um, while it's, well, it's not exactly the same thing, what happens sometimes is that we, in our relationship with the Lord, God will reveal something to us in his word. It's not the same thing in that, you know, it's not some, you know, uh, otherwise now he's just revealed a mystery that nobody's ever known through the ages. Um, but, but God reveals something to us. And it's some plain truth in his word. And it's just some fresh understanding that, that we'll go, oh, wow, look at this. This is, this is amazing. And then what happens is, well, you've just received a dispensation from God. You have a responsibility now to share what God has revealed to you, what God has shown to you. And I, I want to ask for a show of hands, but how many of us have, have received from somebody who God has met them and God has dispensed some, some portion of his truth to them, and, and they, having received this, they share it with us, and it absolutely was exactly what we needed to hear. Again, not asking for a show of hands, but we've all experienced that, haven't we? And aren't we so grateful when somebody, having spent time with the Lord, having, God having revealed to them, they then share it with us. We're like, you have no idea how badly I needed to hear that right now. You have no idea how the Lord just ministered to my heart through you dispensing that truth, that thing that God had revealed to you. Well, this is what Paul is saying here, that he's received this dispensation of grace, and, and that, man, I, I have to steward this, this unveiled mystery. And, and here's the mystery. He says that the mystery is that by God's grace, the Gentiles could be saved and not just saved, but that they could be made joint heirs into one body. And Paul's saying, this is the mystery that God has given to me. And so now we get to verse 13 or verse 14, and now Paul brings it back. He started, hey, listen, this is the reason, man, for this reason, verse 1, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, yeah, Paul, what are you about to say? Well, he finally says it in verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you have the King James Version, right there, it doesn't say reason, it says cause, for this cause. And, and I, personally, I like that translation a little bit better, um, that, hey, man, I, Paul would say, man, I, I'm motivated by a cause, man. This cause is what, what spurs me on. This cause is what causes me to, to, to bow my knees. This is the cause. The dictionary defines cause this way. It says, an ideal, a philosophy, or a movement that people serve with deep conviction. Now, what what cause, what deep conviction is Paul talking about? Well, at the end of Ephesians chapter 2, he's just got finished talking about this cause, this idea that, man, it's the cause of Jesus Christ. It's the, the, the fact that Jew and Gentile can serve together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as fellow citizens of the kingdom of God. 
with Jesus Christ himself being in the mix as the chief cornerstone. And, and, and that, hey, together, we're joint heirs. We're being built together. Listen, we're being built together as a dwelling place for God. And this is a huge thing. This is a huge cause that all of us together can be so submitted to the Lord and so in unity with one another and so much in harmony that, that we, by God's grace, can be not just part of his family, not just part of his kingdom, but we can be knit together as the very place where he himself abides. That's a huge thing. And, and this is the cause that Paul's talking about. And so, what I want to focus on isn't just that Paul served this cause. I want to focus on how he served the cause. That's critically important this morning. We're going to spend a lot of time looking at that. Not just that Paul served the cause, but how he served this cause. Uh, and, and so the, the first point, and I'll just have you write it down, is we're considering, man, how did Paul live? And this is the big question. Man, Paul was a faithful guy. Things didn't go according to plan in his life. He, he faced hardships. He faced trials. How did he face these, live faithfully to God, facing these trials, facing these circumstances? Here's the first point. Paul maintained a Christ-centered perspective. Paul maintained a Christ-centered perspective. See, he says, again, for this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, skipping to verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the Greek, this, this, this verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, the, the sentence structure indicates that Paul didn't see himself as a prisoner of Rome. This is known as a, a, a genitive originating cause. Okay, in the Greek, a genitive originating cause. You're like, what's that? It's, it's hey, it, here's what it is. It's this because of this. That's, that, that's what this is. It's this because of this. Uh, and what Paul is saying is that, listen, I'm here in prison. It's this, I'm in prison because of this, Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not in prison because of Rome. I'm in prison because of Jesus. Now, let me expand on that because it's really important we get this idea. So when, he, when he adds to it, when he finally comes back to the point in verse 14, and he says, again, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What, he, what he's talking about here is, is he's talking about, look, I'm bowing my knees to the idea of me being in prison. I'm bowing my knees to the fact that it's whatever Jesus requires. I'm not in prison because of Rome, and so this is my lot in life. He says, no, I'm in prison because of Jesus, and I bow my knee to that. That's what he's saying here. Now, what happens, you've got to understand sort of the backstory here with Paul. In, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 21, Paul is returning to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey. And as he's making his way back to Jerusalem, um, he begins encountering these different disciples that he's ministered to along the way and so on. And so as he comes back, um, he's being warned over and over again, look, uh, there's there's some hardship awaiting for you in Jerusalem. 
And so uh, he comes, he rolls into this one particular town, and there's a guy named Agabus there. And, and Agabus takes Paul's belt, and he puts it on himself, and he begins to prophesy. And he basically says, you know, uh, and, and, or actually, he, binds it, he uses his belt and binds himself up, his hands up. And he says, this is, this is what the Lord says, the wearer of this belt is going to be bound in this same way. Basically, in, everybody jumps on that bandwagon. They're like, Paul, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, man. They're going to throw you in prison kind of thing. Here was Paul's response. He basically said, look, I'm ready not only to be jailed, but to even die for Jesus Christ. And so we get to the next chapter, Acts chapter 22, and it all starts coming down, man. And everything, just as it was prophesied, starts happening. Uh, and Paul there, he, he gets, he's, he's longing to get to Jerusalem, gets to Jerusalem. He wants to go to the temple. He wants to worship the Lord. They've got several guys that he's bringing with him. And these were, these were men uh, that were Jews that had gone through their, the, the Jewish purification ceremonies and the whole bit. And so he's bringing them in. Well, the Jews started to make allegations that he was bringing in Gentiles into, into the, the, the sanctuary, into, into the, the tabernacle and so on. And they freaked out. They lost their mind. And so they start screaming and there's this huge riot. And the Roman guards see Paul as the instigator of this, of this unrest and so they hook him up, man. They arrest him, and they start taking him. For, and now, the crowd's going to kill him. They're going to tear him apart. So they start carrying Paul away. They actually lift Paul up to, to raise him up to get him away from the crowds. But he's, he's under arrest. So they're going into the Antonio Fortress there, uh, and they're going up the steps. And Paul speaks to the guard, and he says, hey, let me talk to these guys for a minute. And the guy lets him. And so Paul turns around and he begins to address them in their own tongue. And so they hear him speaking their own tongue. And so they all shut up and now they want to listen. So when Paul's there, now he's got, and Paul's, Paul's a preacher, man. So, you know, you've got an audience of people. You're going to preach. So he starts preaching. He's talking about Jesus Christ and him crucified and all the things. And the people, they're, they're listening to, to it all. But then what happens is Paul gets to the point where he's telling them, look, here's what God has said to me. This is what God has called me to do. And he mentions one word that completely is like light and dynamite, Gentiles. He tells them, look, God sent me to the Gentiles. He told me, I'm going to send you away to the Gentiles. And the moment he said the word that I was sent to the Gentiles, they lost their mind. They went crazy, and then the, the, the guard takes him in. You know, he's going to have him beat and so on. And, and, um, and so what happens here is that in that moment, and I want you to put yourself, because a lot of times we read the Bible, and we can get disconnected from it. And so what I want you to do is just considering that story and that experience of Paul, I, wanna, I want you to put yourself there in that now you've been falsely accused because they told him hey you brought a gentile into you know into the sanctuary and uh, and he didn't so you might be tempted when hey let me speak to him when you got everybody's attention you might be tempted to say hey hey i'm falsely accused here cuz these guys they they're not gentiles and and all and and paul didn't do that now, why didn't he do that? Well, it was going to take the focus off of what he was trying to communicate to them. Again, he's telling these Gentiles, listen, the Lord revealed a mystery to me. 
And so my responsibility is to share this mystery, and the mystery is that it's all part of God's plan, that Jew, Gentile, all made one, all part of the family of God, that God's uh, salvation is not just for the Jew, but it's for the Gentile as well. Now, that's not a popular message, because the Jews thought, literally, that Gentiles were created just as, as firewood for hell. They thought that God created Gentiles. They taught that God created Gentiles just to make hell hot, you know, and, and they were fuel. And so there was a hatred for the Gentile. And so when he said this, they lost their mind. And so what I want you to get here is that Paul, is wind, he's wound up in prison as a direct result of his obedience to the word of God and to the will of God. See, because when Jesus told him what he was called to do, it's just that. I mean, you look at Acts chapter 22, verse 21, when Paul articulates to these Jews what Jesus said to him, it's red letters in your Bible. I mean, these are the words of Jesus Christ to the apostle Paul. You don't fudge on those. You you, you don't kind of, oh, well, you know, let me just conveniently not mention that. Paul's saying, listen, You get me, you get all of me. I'm going to tell you exactly what God's called me to do, and I'm going to be matter-of-fact with it. And so Paul understands now, as we're here in Ephesians 3, and he's sitting on death row, Paul understands very clearly and without bitterness, hey, I'm here because of Jesus, because Jesus told me to do this, and I was up front about it, and I was doing my level best to be obedient to this, and as a fine, how do you do what happens? Well, I got tossed in prison. But see, he's not, he's not bitter about it. That's why he says in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The idea here, Paul's saying, look, I'm in prison, and so be it, man, because this is what God told me to do. So I'm going to trust in, in God's sovereign working in my life. And that word sovereign is important here, because God has a sovereign will. And so Paul is saying, listen, I, if I'm a prisoner, I'm Jesus' prisoner. I'm not Rome's prisoner. And God's ordained this. God's allowed this. I'm not here because of Rome. I'm here as a prisoner because Jesus Christ put me in this Roman jail. Now, take a walk with the implications of that. See, because here's the thing. Perspective for us. I want you to hear this. This is important. Perspective for us as we're Christians, as we're going to live the Christian life, it's, it's all important. See, because what happens is how we view and how we react to the circumstances in our life is more important than the circumstances themselves. Let me say that again. How we view and how we react to the circumstances is more important than the circumstances themselves. And so critically important that, man, if all we see is our immediate situation, if all we see is our circumstances, then our circumstances are going to control us. See, that's not the case with Paul. In in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, listen, I am who I am because of the will of God. And now he says, I am where I am because of the will of God. Let me ask you, where are you? Where does God have you right now? See, this is an incredibly freeing thing when you think about this, that I am where I am because of the will of God. Immensely freeing. Several years ago, almost seven years ago, God called me to plant this church. And at the time, um, I, I had a pretty sweet gig. 
you know? And, and so, you know, there I am. I'm comfortable. I, I have a job. I know where my paycheck is coming from. And, and we're doing a great work, man. I mean, God had, had done this, this awesome thing. And we saw this little church that we had started grow massively successful. And, and so, and there I am in this comfortable position. God says to me one day, and it literally was one day, I came home and told my wife, yeah, um, <laughs> Yeah, we're moving. <laughs> I don't know where, but uh, God's told me that, that, I'm, that I'm done here, that I, that I need to turn in my resignation here. And so um, now it's, it's, it's a lot easier to pull the trigger on that than it is to live through that. You know what I'm talking about? It's a lot easier to pull the trigger on something than it is to live through the consequences of that thing. And so there I am now. It's, 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 we're a couple of months into this thing. And everything is up in the air, man. I don't know, I don't know where our paycheck's going to come from. I mean, I'm, at this point in my life, I'm, I'm 40-something years old, uh, and I'm thinking, uh, well, what can, I mean, what can I do to earn money? I mean, I used to be, you know, a firefighter. Well, nobody's hiring fire, 40-year-old firefighters the last I checked. I ain't going back there, you know. And I don't know what God's going to do. All I know is he's called me to step out and do this. And I'll remember, man, the moment God spoke to me and he, he revealed this principle to me. And the principle that he revealed to me was, listen, man, you have to maintain a Christ-centered perspective. Because who called you to do this, Ted? Well, I'm like, well, you did, God. Don't you think, Ted, that if I called you to do this, that I'm going to take care of you? Yeah. See, and where my battle was, was I was worried about how I was going to hang on to all my stuff, frankly. How, how am I going to continue to make my house payment? How am I going to continue to, to maintain, you know, this, whatever, but, you know, ex, uh, position that I have right now in terms of my, my, my status in life and all that. And what the Lord showed me and just completely just broke the chains on was, yeah, you might lose it all, Ted, but isn't it better that you lose everything and be in the center of my will with me than it is for you to try to hang on to, to whatever your stuff is? And I thought, you know what? Yeah. It is better, God. I just want to be with you. And man, it was like the whole world was taken off my shoulders at that point. All the, the anxiety and the fear gone. Because you know what, what happened at that point? I let go of all my stuff. I let go of all the things that I was worried about. And I just said, man, I am going to maintain a Christ-centered perspective. I am where I am because of the will of God. Again, I ask you, where are you today? Where are you? God puts us where he wills. And I'll tell you, it's not always where we would choose, is it? It's not always where we want to be. My wife uh, talks about this. Um, I'll, I'll coin uh, a phrase for her. Uh, it, it's the deep end faith. It's the deep water faith. You know, she, her own experience through this whole thing is she said, I like being in the shallow end where my feet can touch. This is where I'm comfortable. This is where I want to be. And she said, God keeps going blink and putting me in the deep end where my feet can't touch. She's like, I don't like the deep end. She says, you know, adrenaline's overrated. I don't like that kind of, you know, place to be. 
And, and this is what God's doing. It's like, I don't care if that's not where you want to be. Do you want to be where you want to be or do you want to be with me? You know, and so this is the dynamic that's taken place. Man, you need to, you need to maintain this Christ-centered perspective. And, and what I want to say to you again is that wherever God has you today, you're there providentially according to the sovereign will of God. Wherever God has you today, you are there providentially according to the sovereign will of God. Now, providence is an interesting thing. J. Vernon McGee said this. He said, providence is when God's hand is in the glove of human events. Providence, when God's hand is in the glove of human events. Now, we see this biblical idea, this, this, this biblically uh, played out, this, this, this biblical I guess, definition of, of providence this way. It's Romans 8, 28. It says that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. That now, now, that doesn't say that all things are good. It promises that God works all things together for good, and the idea is the providence of God. And here's what I want you to understand. Sometimes God sovereignly works through our obedience, Sometimes God sovereignly works through our disobedience, and sometimes God just sovereignly works. You know, obedience or disobedience isn't connected to it. It's just God sovereignly doing a work. But in every instance, he gets us where we need to be. And see, what we, what we see here, as kind of I expand on that a little bit, here in Ephesians 3, we see an example of God working through obedience in the life of the Apostle Paul. God called Paul to the Gentiles. He didn't back away from it. He didn't shy away from it. And so where is Paul? Well, he's in prison. And Paul could say, in prison, look, I am, I'm, on death, uh, I'm on death row here. And I really don't know how all this is going to work out, but here's what I do know. I obeyed God, and this is where I am. And so he's got a work, and he's got a plan, and he's got something that he wants to do. And so, again, God providentially, sovereignly working through Paul's obedience. Now, the Bible also gives us an example of God sovereignly working through disobedience. You see an example in Jonah. God told him, hey, go to Nineveh and and and." Preach, you know, prophesy. Be, just do your thing, Jonah. That's what I've called you to do. Go to Nineveh. And, uh, and Nineveh is a wicked place. And, and uh, Jonah had no intentions of going to Nineveh, even though God called him to go there. He, he ran like crazy. He jumped on a boat going in the opposite direction. And, and so what happens? Well, Paul or God shows up and, and he causes the, the seas to go crazy and all the sailors are freaking out. And, and finally they get to the place where they're saying, okay, wait a minute, who's, who's in Dutch with God here because this is, this is not normal? And, and, and there Jonah's like, that, that would be me. Just throw me over, you guys will be fine. And if, so they, eventually they did. They didn't want to, but eventually they throw him over and everything, they're fine. And Jonah goes down into the belly of a whale. Now, again, just in the time continuum, put yourself in Jonah's shoes. Uh, you're there in the belly of the whale. You don't know where you're going. You just think, I'm dead. It's just a slow, agonizing death for me, right? Now, what Jonah didn't know was that he was in the belly of that whale and that God had, you want to take a ship to go, to go away <laughs> from Nineveh, but I'm going to put you in a, in a whale that's going to take you to Nineveh. And so God takes him to the place where he wanted to. The whale vomits him up, and there he is. He gets out. You know, he's on the beach. He's like, oh, where am I? Oh, I'm in Nineveh, you know. 
And so the thing is that here we have an example, a biblical example, of a guy who's disobedient to God, trying to run from God, and God says, listen, providentially, you're going to be where I want you to be. And so there you are, you're in the belly of that whale, and you go, well, gosh, here I am. And some of you, like Jonah, you, that's where you're at today. When I say, where are you? You go, well, you know, it's dark and it stinks right now where I'm at. And, and maybe you're there because you've been disobedient to the Lord. But again, here's what I would say to you. The Lord has you where he wants you. All the time. He's never out of control. He's never, oh my gosh, I wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh, and, and now he's running away. What am I going to do? It's like my dog. You know, I open the door, and he's gone, man. I'm like, what am I going to do with my dog? He's not, God's not like that. God sovereignly works even through our disobedience. And sometimes God just sovereignly works. You know, there, there's an example, again, in the Bible, where uh, Jesus and his disciples are coming along, and here's this blind man. It's in John chapter 9. And the disciples see this blind man, and they ask Jesus an interesting question. They said, Rabbi, who sinned, his mom or his dad? And very tellingly, here's how Jesus answered them. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Hey, God just had a sovereign work that he wanted to do through that blind man. And for all we know, the sovereign work that God wanted to do was Jesus healing him right there as an example to everyone around him. Here's a man who was born blind, living a life blind, so that the Messiah could reveal his power. It's an amazing thing. See, the point is, is that as Christians, this principle, this is huge, you got to get it, it has to guide every part of our lives. Because so often we live our lives as, as with a victim mentality saying, well, this guy did this to me, that person did that to me, and, and I was just, you know, it's some dude syndrome. When I, was, when I was a paramedic, you know, we'd find some guy and he was all hacked up on the side of the road and it was obviously a drug deal that went bad. And we'd say, what happened to you? He's like, I was just minding my own business, man, and then some dude, you know, just jumped me. Yeah, and so the thing is, is that we as Christians, we got to understand we're not victims, man. It's not, you know, it's not that, oh, this happened to me, this circumstance derailed me, woe is me, and now I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to lament. We got to understand wherever we're at, hey, that's where God's placed you right now. So, so, man, you don't work for a boss, you work for Jesus. You, you, you don't serve at Awana for Pastor Darius. You serve at Awana for Jesus Christ. You, you, you don't tithe to Reliance Church. You're tithing to Jesus. You, 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 you're not parents at the beck and call of your kids. Hello. You're not, you're not a maid. You're not a butler for your kids' sake. You're not caring for them for their sake, for their happiness. No, listen, you're there for Jesus He's entrusted these kids to you. I used to tell my kids all the time growing up, look, I'm not after your happiness. I'm after your holiness. I'm after your heart. My dad used to tell me that all the time. Listen, Teddy, you got to understand that, that you don't belong to me ultimately. You belong to the Lord. And he's just trusted you to me. And, and I'm going to give an account to, to the Lord someday for how I raise you. And so we need to understand this, man, our responsibility 
we got to understand wherever you're at today, whatever your situation today, whether it was through disobedience, whether it was through obedience, whether it had nothing to do with any of that, and God just has sovereignly placed you where you are, you got to understand that in that place you have to say, I'm completely surrendered, submitted to the will of God, to the lordship of God, and my perspective here needs to be a Christ-centered perspective, not a circumstance-centered perspective, not a this-guy-did-this-to-me kind of perspective. Hey, don't you think God knew that? He's allowed you to be where you are. And so we have to have that Christ-centered perspective. And not only that, we notice also that Paul says that it's, I'm a prisoner of Jesus, he says, for you Gentiles. Do you see that? This is what he says. He says, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. It is entirely possible. In fact, it's, it's likely probable that God has you where you are today for the purpose of extending grace to someone else. Let me say that again. It's entirely possible and likely probable that wherever you are today, it's for the benefit of someone else. Years ago, I was going to go into full-time ministry. I couldn't wait. And uh, the church was growing, and, and I'm working full-time, but God had changed the desires of my heart, and now all I wanted to do was to be serving the Lord full-time. And, and every month, man, we would check the, the tithes, and we would check everything, and it just, it just wasn't there, man. And I was getting frustrated. I'm like, you know, Lord, for crying out loud, the Word says you own a ca- the cattle on a thousand hills. I mean, you, everything's yours. It's nothing for you to, to make the way financially for me to be able to turn my notice in and to come work full time. Why are you delaying? I don't get it. And God left me in that position for a year. Well, I come to find out from the benefit of hindsight, hindsight is always so wonderful because you can connect all the dots with hindsight, and so from the benefit of hindsight, after God finally did make the way for me to come into ministry and several years of serving in full-time ministry, and it's a long story, but the short version is basically this, I had the great honor and privilege of leading uh, this, this guy that I used to work with to faith in Jesus Christ, on his knees, in the dirt, on our church property, praying for him to receive Jesus Christ. It was, it was, an, it was an awesome thing. He and his wife just recently were here, just a few months ago, came to, to visit me, still walking with the Lord and, and, and all, and, and it's a beautiful thing. Guy's name is Roger. But, you know, as I thought about it after the fact, and I kind of replayed the history of being with Roger, you know when I met him? I met him during that stupid year that God left me stuck in the fire department. And, and, and certainly with God, it's never one thing, it's a million things. But I can tell you absolutely for sure, one of the reasons why I was left there was for Roger. That I would come to know him, that I would develop a friendship with him, and that I would have the great honor and privilege to lead him to faith in Jesus Christ. From darkness to light. The man is a citizen of, of, of heaven. He's a child of God. He's going to live forever in eternity in the presence of the, uh, of the Lord. And the Bible says, in your presence is fullness of joy. The Bible talks about living outside the presence of God as well, that it's eternal torment. And I think about Roger and I think, what's a year? What, what's a year of, of God leaving me in a place I didn't want to be? And it was that so bad? Really? I mean, it used to be my dream job. What's, what's the big deal that God left me there? 
And I would just say to you today, maybe you're in a position and you're thinking, man, I don't want to be here. And, and I would just encourage you, maybe just today you could let go of that and just go, Lord, I'm, just, I'm here. I can't change it, so I'm going to be all here. And I'm going to be all yours while I'm here. Hey, Paul would say, I'm in prison and it's for you Gentiles. All right, I'm here, Lord. I'll, 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 use me. Do, do what you want to do in my life. Paul told this to, the, to Timothy in 2 Timothy. He said, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who listed him as a soldier. Now, you ask any one of our Marines here at the church if they deployed for their personal benefit, for their family's benefit. Of course they didn't. Nobody deploys for their own benefit. I mean, if you went to somebody and say, hey, you want to deploy or don't you? I think I'll take a pass. You know, I think, you know, do you want to miss the birth of your kid? No, I don't. I, I want to be here. Nobody deploys for their personal benefit. Man, they serve a greater cause. And because they did, they and their family made sacrifices that the majority are never going to know or experience, but they're going to reap the benefits. And so I've got a question with this in mind. We'll put it on the screen. Take a walk with it. Write it down. This is one of those things I want you to think about this, this week. Are you living a life of convenience or are you living a life of conviction? Are you living a life of convenience or are you living a life of conviction? And so it's just that thing. Hey, Lord, I'm, I'm here and I'm going to be content here. Because I'm just going to trust that, no, this is where you've got me. Now, that's not to say that you go, okay, I'm living here, and where here is, is I'm wrapped up in pornography and drug addiction, and this is where I am. And so I'm just going to, that's not the idea. (laughs) That's not the idea. No, the idea is, is that I am going to, wherever I am, I'm going to honor the Lord in that place. And I'm not going to rush so much to get out of that or I'm not going to lament so much about the circumstances of me while I, while I am there. I'm simply going to say, Lord, for better or for worse, this is where I am and this is where you've allowed me to be right now. And so my attitude here is, man, am I, am I just looking for what's convenient or am I going to live a life of conviction to say, I'm going to honor you with wherever I'm at. I'm going to serve you. In 1 Peter 1, Peter talks about the Old Testament prophets who who also served sacrificially. He says, To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. And what I want you to notice is I'll leave the scripture up for you for just a second. Peter says that the prophets were not ministering to themselves but to us. And that word ministering is interesting. It literally means serving. Here's the big idea. They weren't serving themselves. They were serving us, these prophets. And for, in order for us to really fully understand that, you got you to gotta kind of consider what was the experience of the prophets. Well, the writer of Hebrews, speaking of the prophets, he says to us that they were tortured Some faced jeers and floggings. Others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned to death. They were sawed in two. The prophet Isaiah, uh, it is is, uh, widely believed by the church that he was sawn in two by a wood saw. 
they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, the writer of Hebrews says. They were destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. They wandered in deserts, in mountains, in caves, in holes in the ground. And Paul concludes the world was not worthy of them. And again, Peter says it was to us that they were ministering these things. They went through, they endured all of those things for our sake, for our benefit. Now, the obvious implication is one of sacrifice. The attitude being then, how am I going to sacrifice to serve Jesus and his people? Arguably, Paul made great sacrifices here for the sake of the Gentiles. And so God calls us to be those that are, are, are willing to sacrifice. One of the books that, that had a profound impact on me when I was a young Christian uh, was a book by Patrick Morley. It's called The Man in the Mirror. I highly recommend it to men to read that book. Um, and, uh, and in one of the chapters, uh, he's talking about how there's this tendency that we have uh, as men where we live incredibly short-sighted lives. Um, and, and basically, the things that we say that matter aren't really the things that, well, it's not reflected in how we live. That's the thing. He says, you know, we talk about, man, this is so important to me, but, but he speaks of this thing called the tyranny of the urgent. And the tyranny of the urgent is, is that all these things that are urgent steal my time, rob my time, rob my focus, rob my, intent, my attention, and meanwhile, all the stuff that I say is important gets neglected and gets ignored, and frequently, that's my kids. And, and so what happens is we live lives of convenience rather than lives of conviction. And so to introduce this concept, he, he tells the story of Dr. Philip Littleford and his 12-year-old son, Mark. And, and the, the, the short version of the story is they go fishing, they're on an airplane, the airplane crashes, they're trying to swim to shore, the tide is pulling them out, and, and everybody else is going to make it to shore. Dr. Littleford could have made it to shore, but it would have meant that he left his son on his own. And so rather than leaving his son on his own to drown, obviously as a father, he goes out and gets his son, even knowing that it's going to cost him his own life. And certainly it did. That was the last anybody ever saw of them floating arm in arm out into the open sea where their bodies were never found. And Patrick Morley concludes the story by saying, what father wouldn't die for his son? But he says, if, if we'd so willingly die for our kids, why won't we live for them? And the sad truth is that oftentimes we're unwilling to make the day-to-day -day sacrifices that living for them requires. That's the bottom line. And so what we see in Paul is here's a man that sacrificed. Here's a man who, who goes through the different circumstances in life because, well, number one, he maintained a Christ-centered perspective. But secondly, what we see in Paul's life is that he maintained a grace-centered posture. A grace-centered posture. And you know what? As I glance at the clock, I'm going to just cut my message off right there. We'll just leave it there. I'll pick it up next week. We got a lot to chew on today, and basically the, the big idea is, man, are you living a Christ-centered perspective or not? That's the bottom line. That's where we're at today. A Christ-centered perspective. Listen, we need, to, we need to trust in the Lord, and we need to be those people that are, that are willing to say, Lord, wherever I'm at, this is the place where I'm going to honor you. As you take a walk with it this week, I'd like you to ask the 
question of the Lord and, and listen to his reply. Am I all yours and completely surrendered to you in this place? Like Paul, am I a person who says, hey, I, I'm here because of and for Jesus Christ. 